This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for December 16th, 2019. The Democrats are united in hoping to defeat President Trump's bid for re-election next November, presuming he's still in office, but they're certainly not united in how they might go about doing that. Should they go radical and inspire, or go moderate and capture the middle ground? Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. Coming up in a few minutes. And like he used to say, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. He he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying. For once in his life. Those people, yeah, (laughs) for the other 13,000 times. But first, I want to thank all of my donors on Patreon. I really appreciate everyone who contributes. Patreon is a system that allows people to donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, and that helps me to devote more time to research and to finding interesting guests. If you think you could do the same as those patrons, there's details on the website and at the end of this show. You might also be able to hear that I'm not in my regular studio at the moment. I've taken a holiday so you can hear the waves crashing on the beach there in the background. And anyone who's learnt a second language will know that the words and phrases in one language often don't map exactly to the ones in another. A language is a complete speech convention. It's not like Morse code where you transfer words directly. Things work differently from one language to another. Some languages have several non-interchangeable words where another language just has one or maybe none. And this can make problems for a language learner who hasn't grown up with the experience of knowing when to use which word. And this means that people familiar with language learners will quickly learn to spot what is the native language of the learner by the mistakes that they make in their target language, the language that they're learning. There's even a name for this. It's called native language interference. Believe it or not, this is useful when it comes to understanding the comments in the hugely popular online version of the British newspaper, The Daily Mail. The particular comment that I'm thinking of was from someone with the username DM Reader, and they gave their location as Lovely England. It was an article about a request from a Russian-backed separatist in Ukraine to Nigel Farage to support his cause. Articles, in case you're not a linguist, are words like a and the. So if you want to say, I ate the apple, you're talking about a specific apple known to the listener. But if you say, I ate an apple, then you're not specifying to the listener which apple because it's not important. Now, here's the thing about Russian. The Russian language doesn't have articles at all. If you want to say, I ate an apple, you say, ya yisel yablaka. If you want to say, I ate the apple, it's the same, ya yisel yablaka. In both cases, literally, I ate apple. It's easy to leave out a word that you don't have a translation for, but if you're a language learner, it's much trickier to work out 
when to use words in your target language that have no equivalent in your native language. For this reason, Russian learners of English have a particular problem with knowing when to use articles, knowing when not to use them and knowing which ones to use. This might be surprising until you think of just how complicated some conventions of English actually are. The rule about using the word the for specific things and a for non-specific things or an if it begins with a vowel, that rule doesn't always hold. It's way more complex than that. If someone says, I went to the bank or I went to the beach, it's likely that they're not referring to a specific bank or beach known to the listener. And sometimes we leave out articles altogether. We say, I went to school or I went to work. Sometimes this grammatical rule gets totally reversed. You might walk into a store and ask, do you have the Daily Mail? You use the word the when you don't mean a specific one. You mean any of the thousands of copies that were printed. Then you go into a cafe next door to meet a friend and they ask you, do you have a newspaper? And you answer, well, I have a Daily Mail. When in this case, you're referring to the specific copy that you just bought for some reason. It gets more complicated when you use negatives. Sometimes the negatives can replace the article. I have a computer. I have no computer. And sometimes they can't. I have the book. I don't have the book. This makes things even harder for Russian speakers because where English has several negating words, words like no, not, don't, Russian has only one, нет. This is where the comment from DM Reader in lovely England on a Daily Mail online article about Nigel Farage and Ukraine from a while back comes in. I'll read the comment verbatim. Farage is against the USA slash EU expansionist mission, wants us to stay away from business that's not concern of ours. So I'm not surprised that one pro-Russian activist with a common sense contacted a politician who sees the situation in Ukraine in a logical order. There's a couple of things there. Let's leave aside the comment, the content of the comment, why someone in lovely England would be so concerned that Nigel Farage take a particular stance on the conflict in Ukraine. Let's just look at the language. Stay away from business that's not concern of ours. That's weird phrasing. You could say not a concern of ours. You could say no concern of ours. But not concern of ours isn't something typical of an English speaker. Then there's the mention of one pro-Russian activist with a common sense. With a common sense? Who says that? Not native speakers. And sees the situation in a logical order. That's a strange way to put it, but it seems to me to be a direct translation of Russian phraseology. Not to mention that we are expected to believe that DM reader in lovely England seems well up not just on the conflict in Ukraine, but also on Farage's opinion on it. But I don't. I don't believe that for a moment. Looking at the language, and I have significant experience in this area, I haven't a shadow of doubt that this text was written by a Russian speaker. But here's the thing. 
this text wasn't written recently. It wasn't even written at the time of the UK Brexit referendum. It was written in April 2014, years before either that referendum or the presidential election in 2016. The Daily Mail Online is the biggest UK online news source and an obvious target for campaigns of influence. They might have started sloppy with writers who had middling English doing heavy-handed messaging, but it would be foolish to think they've given up on it or not gotten better at it. Make no mistake, this is information warfare. But it's better than bombing Malaysian airlines, I suppose. Or Afghan wedding parties, for that matter. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. On the line, I have Joan Esposito. She's a host on WCPTAM 820, Chicago's progressive talk radio. Joan, I guess that makes you a progressive. And you're in <laughs> Chicago. I, and you're in Chicago, which is the home city, more or less, of Barack Obama. Does he call around to you very often anymore? Uh, not recently, but I did meet him when he was trying to make the jump from state senate here in the in Illinois mm-hmm. to being a US senator mm-hmm. one of my friends had a coffee for him and it, there were probably i don't know eight of us that sat and had coffee with him and i've got to tell you you can watch his speeches and you can hear how eloquent he is but in person he's so charismatic Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's like you just whatever he wanted you to do, you want to do it for him. Joan, you're in, you're in danger of sounding like a hipster saying I, I was into it before it was cool. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what I really want to ask you about, because you're on Obama's home turf there. And yes. clearly, I've lost count of how many Democrats are still in the primaries. And they're actually perhaps more coming into it. But Obama gave a warning a while back saying that progressives need to avoid a situation of what he called a circular firing squad. It really does seem that this large number of Democrats, and in particular quite a lot of them would certainly tick the box as progressives, they're not doing themselves any favours. They do seem to be sniping at each other rather than a fairly big obvious elephant in the room. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. And, you know, that's been a criticism of the Democratic Party that I've been hearing lately, that they should have handled this field of candidates the way they've done in the past, which is to pretty much winnow it down themselves and say, the rest of you guys sort of butt out. These are the people who we're going to be focusing on. And instead, it was kind of a anybody who wants to come up to the table, have a seat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you distinguish yourself in a field of 15 or 20? You know, you have to not only say who you are, but you have to kind of look at the front runners and say why people should not be supporting them. So it's kind of inevitable with this kind of a field to have a circular firing squad, as you so aptly put it. Well, that, that was Obama's words, not mine. But pause on that thought for a minute, because rewind four years and would Bernie Sanders have made it into that selected group, a more elite group that should be the primary candidates as you see it? 
Well, that's the downside of making those selections is you get the safe choices. You get the choices that the leadership of the party knows. You kind of get same old, same old. You don't get an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get the young upstarts. You get the Joe Bidens of the world. So that's an excellent question. Oh, and what's the answer? <laughs> well, I don't know what the answer is. Um, but, you know... I think there's got to be a happy medium here because let's face it. I mean, you know, know him, love him. Pete Buttigieg, just he's he's very young. He's very inexperienced. You know, he, uh, should he really be occupying the stage? Tulsi Gabbard, mm -hmm. should she really be up there? I mean, I really want to hear ideas. And I think that, you know, every Democrat has some decent ideas. But I think that. I would prefer to see five people or four people up there as opposed to 10 people up there. Why do you think that so many people are staying in the race so long when clearly, you know, some of them are polling in the low single digits? Before I let you answer, I'll suggest my own one. They think that there's a very good shot of winning in the general election and they want to be around for it, if not to be the final winner then to at least have their slot marked for the next uh, the next time the vacancy arises? I think they're staying in there for the first couple of primaries. Traditionally, after like Iowa and New Hampshire, mm -hmm. that's when the field really narrows. And if you remember in 2008, going into Iowa, oh, Barack Obama was trailing Hillary Clinton in the polls by quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And then he had this massive showing in Iowa and it literally turned everything around. So I don't know if you've been reading, but uh, supposedly um, Kamala Harris and Amy Klobuchar have been taking a lot of their campaign donations and focusing it on getting the voters in Iowa to know them. And secondly, in New Hampshire, because those those could potentially turn it around. That's true. And I think we've had a discussion on this podcast not so long ago about how insane the Iowa caucus is, but I'll put that aside. But the let, let's look maybe more precisely at what Obama was saying, because I think he wasn't so much concerned about the large field. And that's something to be concerned about. If you're a Democrat, I would agree. But he was more concerned about this almost purity tests that mm -hmm. perhaps sometimes some candidates, also some advocates for those candidates on Twitter, even quite prominent people have. And the tension there is perhaps between having a candidate like Joe Biden, who's clearly very prominent, has got a long history, and a lot of Democrats don't really feel he's a true progressive compared to people who who perhaps might be on Biden's side saying that the people who are attacking Biden, the Democrats who are attacking Biden, are simply so pure and so demanding that they can never command a majority of the in the general election. That's you that you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what is debated. Um, on my show and off the air on my show and mm -hmm. all the political operatives that I know, that's the big debate. And yeah, and everybody you try to be the moderator says, of it. Take, the, take your moderator hat <laughs> off for a minute and tell me who's right and who's wrong and why. Well, uh, here's what I think. I think that unlike the Republican Party, the Democratic Party has always been known for having a big tent. 
You could have a wide range of opinions and ideas and beliefs and still be a Democrat. There wasn't the same, there didn't used to be the same ideological purity as you found in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And I think that's wonderful, but that also sometimes makes it tricky for everybody to get behind the same candidate. So do I think that's a great idea? Yes. I mean, if you're a Democrat and you're trying to get elected in an, in an area of the country that's largely Republican, mm-hmm. you probably aren't going to be elected unless you're a very conservative Democrat. And that's OK. I would still rather see somebody with a D in front of their name get that seat, even if they had to espouse some of what I might consider conservative views. Mm -hmm. That's okay with me. But the problem arises exactly when we're all trying to get behind one candidate and walk in the same direction. That's that's when Mm -hmm. people really have to rise to the occasion and say, okay, yeah, well, I I don't like this candidate for this reason, but I'm going to vote Democratic because there's a bigger picture here. That's the tricky part. So do I think it's a great idea? I think, yes, it's a great idea. The Democrats should have a big tent. But when somebody finally gets a nomination, then we all have to fall in line. And that's a little trickier. Okay, pause on that, because I think, well, there's two things in there that I disagree with and one that can't be fixed. I'm not sure that the Democrats are a big tent. I think they're a big campsite with lots of little tents. And sometimes people are very, very reluctant to go and live in someone else's tent and definitely very (laughs) reluctant to let in someone else who's not in their tent. And by that, of course, I mean people who they view as ideologically incorrect or whatever. But there's not much we can do about that. But the one that we can do about it, and you you talked about Democrats essentially moving to the centre or essentially becoming quite conservative in order to get elected in a red state or in a conservative area. And I think that's wrong. Because if you looked at the polling in the run-up to the 2016 election, when they were doing one-on-one polls, Hillary Clinton was ahead of Donald Trump. And that turned out to be true in the election. She won the popular vote by three million votes more than what Donald Trump had. But Bernie Sanders, in those one-to-one polls, was a mile ahead. And even if you allow for the margin of error that Clinton ended up losing, you could say that if Biden was running in that general election, he would have run away with it. And I think those what you call conservative voters have demonstrated an incredible degree of ideological flexibility. People who a short time ago were dyed-in-the-wool free traders have now been converted by Donald Trump to being in favour of protectionism. People who were dyed-in-the-wool, dedicated supporters of the United States on the international stage have now come out. We saw Tucker Carlson a while back saying that he's cheering for Russia in the war to crush Ukraine. Those people have incredible flexibility. And I think it's not conservatism particularly not a wishy-washy democratic version of conservatism that will attract them. I think, actually, that standing strong is more attractive. What do you think? Standing strong is always attractive. You want a candidate who's confident and passionate, and that's what Bernie Sanders 
has always brought to the table in spades. Um, I agree with that completely. But I, I think what we're doing is we're battling for the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Ever since he was elected, poll after poll after poll shows Donald Trump's base is not going to leave him. He has anywhere from 38 percent, 40 percent support. And I, I do believe he could shoot someone. And, and like he used to say, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. He, was, he and wasn't would, lying. He wasn't lying. For once in his Those life. people... Yeah, for the other 13,000 times. Those people are going to follow him no matter what. I think what both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are trying to win over is that middle ground. You know, there are the people who will go to their grave always pulling for a Democratic candidate. There are people who will go to their grave always pulling for the Republican candidate. Mm -hmm. But we're battling for that middle ground. And my fear, my fear, and, you know, we didn't see this because Bernie Sanders uh, didn't make it to the to the final leg last time around. Mm-hmm. But my fear is that if we get an Elizabeth Warren or if we get a Bernie Sanders, the Republicans with their fabulous disinformation machine are going to paint them as so out of touch and so radical and so uh, they're going to upset the apple cart of your life that it's going to be very easy to marginalize them and discredit them. Mm-hmm. That's that's my fear with that kind of passion. You know, Bernie Sanders. Pause on that, you know, Joan. I, Joan, pause on that okay. thought because, I, and I take what you're saying. You know, that, that's that's true. But there's two problems with it. Number one problem is that that's likely to be done anyway. It doesn't matter whether it's Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden, they're going to be running a huge campaign to smear them one way or the other. And, and that's that's just going to happen. It's it, that, That's a given. And it's not a variable. But the other point is, it has been demonstrated that large swathes of the US voters, and I think also some people who you're describing as, as uh, very strong Trump supporters, bear in mind, Trump won by taking the votes of an awful lot of people who voted for Barack Obama twice. Mm-hmm. Yes. And isn't it likely that when offered a choice between a dyed-in-the-wool conservative and one that the wishy-washy version of the same, they're going to go for the true believer – Whereas they may well just be happy to vote for the true believer on the other side. Well, now you're talking about why people vote. And what I have seen as I have followed local and statewide elections, at least here in Illinois, is for all of the passion and and marches and demonstrations that we get from the millennials, when mm-hmm. it comes time to walk into a voting booth, I have been stunned by the last few elections around here how few people, young people, actually showed up to vote. And if and the margin, the people, the demographics who vote, at least around this area, mm-hmm. they're 55 to 75 years old. And that's the demographic that's actually going to show up and pull the levers. And that's the demographic that I think you don't want to frighten. You know, you, you, you mm-hmm. know, change too much change and and that's going to make them worried you know you know you're you're either on social security or you're getting ready to retire or you can see it down at the end of the road and that's not a time when you want your taxes to go up you know i mean you're close to medicare anyway so this medicare for all is that really something 
that you want to lose a lot of money over. So I think we have to look at who's going to vote. I have I've spoken with a lot of millennials on my show and I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, you know, you 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 were so active. Why didn't the young people vote? And the response that I've always gotten was, well, you know, the young people influenced the issues and and made the candidates talk in a progressive way they hadn't talked about before. And I said, yeah, that's great. Now go to the polls and vote for those candidates. Mm -hmm. But the numbers here in the Chicago area, northern Illinois, of who votes, they're shocking. How do you fix that? I've been trying to figure that out, William. And if you have an (laughs) idea, because that's one of the things I've decided as we run up to the 2020 election, I want to to, to get two messages out that we're all Democrats. We're, we're, you know, whether that we pick somebody who's progressive, middle of the road, or slightly more conservative, we all have to get behind them. We all have to get behind our candidate and we have to figure out how to motivate the people who don't vote to vote. Those are the two things that I want to work on on my show for the next year. And if you have any insights into that, William, I would love to hear them. I'll be thinking about that. Joan Esposito, host at WCPTAM 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio. It's great to talk to you. Thank you, William. It's been a pleasure. Have you read a blog post or an opinion piece that you think is really right or really wrong? Tell us why. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com and let's discuss it on the next show. Go to the website for sources and links to what we were talking about. And while you're there, please like the show on Facebook, follow at ChallengingO on Twitter, and follow Joan Esposito at Joan Esposito CHI. And get in touch with me if you can suggest a guest or a topic for a future show. And thanks to everyone who signed up as a patron on Patreon as well. I really appreciate them. They help me to devote more time to researching topics and guests. And if you could do the same as them and donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, go to patreon.com slash challenging opinions, or you'll find the link on the website. Also, you can find out how to subscribe to the podcast for free on your computer, on your phone, or by email. It's all at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.